New week on the Just Baseball Show. Today is Monday, November 14th, and we're going to try something unique and something that is going to be exceptionally hard for Arm Layton and myself, Jack McMullen. Again, Just Baseball Show, we really struggle with keeping our thoughts concise because we want to get everything out. So naturally, I thought a great idea would be to try and dive into 15 headlines around Major League Baseball and free agency and set a timer for 30 minutes. So an average of two minutes per. Does that sound good? I mean, we did something similar around the deadline. We kind of pulled it off, I think. Was it for the deadline? I, I remember I was in Pensacola, and we tried something similar. And, and I thought worked. we did an okay job. Yeah, I thought I thought it worked. So let's go for it. It worked. I think it was like 30 teams in, in 30 minutes. It was minutes 30 teams. It was 30 teams. Yep, yep. 30 yep. teams in 30 minutes. And I think this will actually be more This powerful. is a lot easier. Yes, a lot easier because we're averaging two minutes per topic. And I think there are some topics that we're going to hit where – we just have 10 to 15 seconds worth of thoughts, and then we can expand and go three, four, five minutes uh, on some of the bigger things. So I've got 15 things here, but you went back to the alma mater, man. How was how was college football and our fraudulent uh, Syracuse football team? Uh, I mean, I don't know if they're fraudulent in in the respect that like it was it was expected right they're not that good the wind uh, out of the sails man yeah obviously but it was great to be back it was great to be back uh, a lot of a lot of memories my first time back since I, we graduated which was not even a graduation because i didn't go to the graduation so my first time there since i went home for spring break and never went back yeah and uh it was cool it was really cool um it was it was nice to be back and cold so it was nice to be reminded of of why i was excited to to for the next chapter of my life. And it was getting away from that weather. It, it hailed within the first hour of me being there. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like that. So who would have thought you left after me and you got back before me. You've so, never been back yet either. I haven't been back. Wow. I want to get back. I want to get back and like Syracuse as a campus. It doesn't have one of those like crazy, you know, fun, like restaurant bar strips. Marshall street is like no. very subpar. Um, yes. But it's it's kind of nostalgic, right? Like oh, it absolutely is. that campus is awesome rap at varsity. Yeah, campus is great. So yeah, I, I'm with you, man. But we've got we a can... lot of baseball to go over, even after your dolphins hung like 40 on whoever the hell they were playing, and now they got the Texans next week. Browns, the Dolphins would be undefeated if Tua was if Tua was healthy the whole time, by the way. Noted. All right, I'm gonna set the timer. Um, let's do it. All right, 30 minutes, 15 topics. Three, two, one. Okay, so first thing we got to touch on is the Astros parting ways with general manager James Clay. Yeah. I mean, that is massive, right? That should be it, 20 minutes in itself, I think, honestly. I think so. Like, this might be one of those seven or eight minute guys, but the Astros done with James Click. They do retain manager Dusty Baker. Uh, they've got, a what, a senior advisor making free agency decisions for them. It, it's kind of odd how all of this happened. The reports were from Jeff Passan that Click asked for an extension 
Um, the or the Astros came to Click with a one-year deal. Click said no, he needs a multi-year deal. The Astros said no and fired him. Yeah. Really weird. Can you remember a time where the GM of a World Series winner is just gone the year after? No, no. And and I think it, there, there's more to it than that, right? Like, I don't think it's – I think the contractual stuff that basically came out that, that we're aware of now is – kind of the, the top, like the surface, the tip of the iceberg of, of things that are going on below the surface, right? So I think they had issues. I don't think they got along that well. There were some quotes that I saw from Click uh, a few weeks ago where I was like, man, I would never talk about my boss that way or my relationship with my boss that way in regards to Crane. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the unwillingness for the multi-year deal was because of their relationship and, you know, maybe some things that they were at odds about and an unwillingness for from Crane, the owner, to, you know, handcuff himself to this guy for multiple years if they're not getting along that well um i think that was a big reason why it sounds like crane is and we kind of know this is one of the most hands-on owners he's i, I think in a lot of ways kind of baseball's jerry jones you know in in some ways where yeah. he's he's just very involved but i would say the difference is crane like, seems to know what he's doing i tweeted about this a couple days ago but the amount of turnover they've had in this front office and still had sustainable success with that turnover, I bet Crane thought about it and said, hey, man, I, I've had a revolving door of GMs and assistant GMs, and this franchise has continued to be great. I'm not afraid of another GM leaving. We'll keep the train moving. Yeah, so that's kind of the thing that gets me because a lot of the uh, the previous GMs have – I mean, we we know the deal with with Lunau and shit or Lunhau and, and shit like that was, you know, not good. That was a disgraceful end to it. But with James Click, it felt unique because he yeah. was this perfect blend of analytics. And I like it felt like feel, but I guess Click was all analytics and, and Dusty was all feel. And they kind of matched to form this super pure, this super baseball mind. But I my immediate thought when I saw that this rift was reported by John Heyman was why can't you guys just be adults and view this as a, a healthy difference of opinion? And that's how James Click put it. Obviously it was not a healthy difference no. of opinion. It was very unhealthy. Uh, and it, it got contentious to the point where Jim Crane and Dusty Baker didn't want to work with James Click anymore. And Click is gone. My thought is, there are few GMs whose job is truly safe if James Click hits the open market. And it's not like an organization and an owner is going to fire a GM or a president of baseball operations to bring in James Click. My thought is whichever organization Click joins is going to get immediately better in the development department and in what seems like the, the scouting department. Absolutely. I mean, this guy knows what he's doing. There's, there's no doubting that. There's a reason why the Astros have been good for a long time and continue to be good now. I mean, he it was working before him, but he took the reins and, and continued things with, with the Astros from a development and from a big league standpoint. All the moves that they've made have been great as well. So I'm very interested to see where he lands. There's going to be no shortage of interest in click. And I think it's an example. We've seen a lot of reports through the years and more and more recently about how toxic and difficult it is to work in the environment that is the Astros organization at times, at least from a front office standpoint. And I, I think Click just not didn't feel like he could do his job fully with an owner who we just saw was able to nix a trade basically by himself. A lot of times owners will let their front office guys do what they do, especially when you're one of the best like Click. When you're getting a trade vetoed, 
that really handcuffs you as a general manager and someone that just won the world series and you still feel like you're handcuffed. You're like, what else do I have to do to prove that I deserve free roam and free reign in my job? And I don't blame click for maybe wanting out of there without the multi-year deal. And here's the thing too. I understand if an owner, if an owner shoots down a Juan Soto deal or even a Josh Hader deal, but it expiring Wilson Contreras in a one V one swap, for Jose Urquidy, who didn't even crack the postseason rotation, you wonder that, what else he's what else he's getting involved in. It, it feels very overstepping your your boundaries as an owner, and I understand why that would turn off James Click, but I also understand why he would want to stay in a GM job, especially where he won a World Series. Click is gone. Azo Campo, who is his right hand man, is gone. He's the AGM of the Miami Marlins. But one of my other headlines: Joe Espada does return via yeah. Mark Feinstein. He was interviewing for a lot of managerial openings. He did not get them notably yeah. uh the marlins and the white Sox are mm-hmm. two sides marlins opt for skip schumacher white Sox opt for pedro grifol and here we are espada and dusty running it back yeah uh, i'll be short on this one i i, I don't want to you know assume too much on this but i find it interesting that espada going into this offseason was one of the you know sexiest candidates uh when it comes to, to managerial consideration and then all of a sudden you know he's not even a finalist in a lot of these Runnings, I know with the Marlins and the White Sox, it just didn't seem like he was one of the main, main guys down the stretch. And, you know, I do wonder if this is uh, like a B enemy type of thing I was where say you know, Eric B enemy. Yes. Eric B enemy who, you know, candidate looks great, but when it comes to, you know, going and interviewing and sitting down and whatever just seems to come up short somewhere. And, and I think that might be the case with Espada. The good news for the Astros is he is fantastic in his role with them and he provides some continuity for, you know, the, the defending champs next year. I think it's good for Espada as he continues to, to try to get ready instead of maybe getting thrown into a situation that he wasn't ready for, if that's what teams think. And, um, you know, and I know he got a lot of experience through these, you know, through these interviews and I'm, I'm sure he'll get an opportunity down the line, but Oh no, you go back to being the, you know, the, one of the main guys for the defending champs. I think Espada will be just fine. Yeah. One more that has nothing to do with the guys that are actually on the field. Ray's, They hired John Daniels as the senior advisor of baseball operations uh, in Tampa. John Daniels was the previous president of baseball operations in Texas. The Rangers ultimately decide to hand Chris Young the keys to the Corvette, which may get very souped up with brand new tires and maybe a nitrous engine with Jacob deGrom and uh, other top flight pitchers being interested in Texas. More on that a little bit later on in this half hour, but John Daniels, my understanding is solid baseball mind, wasn't really cutting it as a lead man. Now he can be an advisor of sorts to Eric Neander. Yeah, I, I like it. I like, And we're seeing a lot of front office shuffling, which is fun because um, I feel like there's a lot of knowledge now kind of getting more spread across the league as teams start to, you know, poach guys here and there. And, and just another one where I'm excited to see how things shake out. Yeah, eight minutes in, we've got, uh, I think, four headlines down. So we're, we're Pretty actually good. on pace. This is perfect. Um, let's get to relievers and multi-year deals. Let's start with cool. the Padres. Robert Suarez, five years, $46 million with a player option after year three. Really interesting deal. This is Preller throwing money that isn't his at a guy when they need to allocate half a billion dollars to Juan Soto some point soon. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Look, I think, you know, with, with the bullpen, the way it is, I do wonder if this means they're not planning on paying Josh Hader after this season. I think they might let him go to free agency. Obviously, you know, Hader's got a little bit more tread on his tires. I know that they're both, I think they're both on the other side of 30 or getting there. Uh, how old is Josh Hader? I think he's 30. <laughs> okay. 
Suarez is 31, but as we know, you know, has not really pitched that much in his career because he got such a late start. And, and really, this was his first full season uh, stateside. So 47 and two thirds innings. He's, he's still young in terms of baseball, just miles on his arm. I'm just surprised because you are buying at the absolute peak, right? You're buying at the absolute top of the market. And he was really good this year and had a really good postseason. But let's say the postseason doesn't happen and we base it just off the regular season, which I think almost every single long-term signing you make should be, you know, you you, got to remove the emotion from the postseason. Are you giving this guy a multi-year deal? I don't know. The one thing I will say is we were critical or at least a little bit like, what is he doing when when he gave Nick Martinez a multi-year deal? And that looked like a, a pretty good option for them and, and a good contract there that seems like they're not going to regret. Um, I I, I want to see how it plays out. I just hate giving relievers multi-year deals. Correct. Uh, and real quick, before we move on to what I think is going to be an identical conversation, Josh Hader's only 28 years old. He'll turn 29 on April 7th. Okay, yeah. So Next year. So, But just more miles, right? Like, are, are you going to give him a big contract? What Hader can look at Edwin Diaz's deal and say, do that for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which how, no one's doing. No. <laughs> how old is Edwin Diaz? Edwin Diaz is 28. I, identical age. Hater was born three weeks after Edwin Diaz. I mean, Hater can actually look at that deal and say, yeah, give me four years, 80 mil. And I feel better about Suarez five for 46. A hundred percent. Actually, one last thing too. Nick Martinez opted out of or turned down a $6.5 million player option for this year. So he's actually going to hit the open market. And it's just funny because we were like, whoa, why'd they give this guy a four-year deal coming back stateside after playing, you know, (laughs) overseas? It's pretty crazy. That one worked out. So we'll see how it works out for Preller and Suarez. Obviously, Suarez was a very popular name on the market and they didn't waste any time. Uh, But, you know, these deals are typically not great. And this is like Razo Iglesias money similar, right? And um, I know Iglesias, that contract's not looking great either, but that was like the, the crown jewel of of the reliever market. We thought that teams might kind of start to shy away from the long-term reliever deals. And now it seems like lesser candidates, you know, less established candidates are getting these big-time deals. It's pretty wild to see. You want to talk less established candidate? The deal that was broken on Instagram from Passing, who's making a contingency plan if Twitter goes down. Don't blame him. Uh, Astros re-signed Rafael Montero three years, $34.5 million dollars. This feels like a postseason signing, and this feels like that knee-jerk, like, we got to lock him up now signing. Yeah, I, I wonder if James Click wanted to do this. <laughs> I, like, I'm serious. I, three for 34 and a half. I know he had the fantastic postseason. Yeah, but dude. Like, he's one year removed from a 6.39 ERA. Incredible. Right? I mean, you're going to be paying this guy 11 mil. Like, we've seen, I feel like there is that, that runt of the litter in each bullpen where this guy's getting way too much money. And I feel like in two years, we're talking about Rafael Montero. Like this dude is making $11 million this year. He's 32. I know you're going to pay 34 year old Rafael Montero, $11 million. He might suck by then. It's and I will say he figured something out is what seems to happen when you go to the Astros and you have good stuff. And for him, it was the fastball just just getting better. And he used it more than he ever has last year. Yeah. So whatever the Astros helped Montero figure out, they seem convinced that it will continue. I just think if I'm the Astros, a team that continues to do a really good job of unlocking a bit more and getting the best out of your relievers. Why are you paying Montero this kind of money? And when it's the Mets, we talk about how the money doesn't matter as much. When it's the Astros, they're not the biggest of spenders. They'll spend in those spots. But, 
you know, this is this is a deal that, you know, I don't see them doing another one of these for another reliever, really. Um, this is the kind of money that you give to one of your bullpen aces outside of Presley. And this this is going to be one of their bullpen aces in their mind for the next couple of years. So um, ignore the track record. They like what they see in this one year and they're going to hope that it continues. And, and I'm very interested to see how that goes. Yeah, we've got uh, two minutes and 10 seconds to get through two one-year deals uh, if we want to continue on on a solid path that we're at right now. Again, 15 topics in 30 minutes. Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers uh, plan to reunite one-year deal north of $20 million, according to Heyman. Shocking that a deal for Clayton Kershaw is going to take 10 seconds from me. He wasn't going to throw for anybody not named the Dodgers, and here he is back with the Dodgers, and he's going to keep on doing one-year deals. Last year was the only time there was a you know microscopic chance of him going anywhere. Um, he doesn't. He just. He can't. She shouldn't be in any other jersey, right? When I go to his baseball reference page, I want to see lad, 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 lad all the way down. Correct. I don't want to see anything at the end, like a bunch of know, Michael Jordan with like the, the Wizards on a Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. I just. I don't want. I don't want to see that. So great for baseball. And guess what, dude? At twenty million dollars or whatever it is, let's say it's twenty four. You know, on the high end, if he gives you exactly what he gave you last year or slightly diminished. 125 innings for round numbers of a low twos, mid twos ERA. You'll take that every day of the week, even though that's not, you know, full-time starter for you. Clayton Kershaw is still an extremely valuable player. An extremely valuable player, especially with no Walker Bueller next year either. You need Clayton Kershaw. Tyler Anderson and Andrew Heaney also on the open market. Now you would like continuity. You have it in Kershaw and Urias and Gonsolin. Uh, Braves, they signed Nick Anderson after he cleared waivers one year for $875,000. If he's in the big leagues, $180,000. If he's in the minor leagues, I don't want to make a guess on how healthy this guy is. If he's healthy, this is the steal of all steals. If he's not, I don't think 875 is going to hurt you at all. No, not at all. I I mean, it's barely over the the new, new minimum. And you in see how rich baseball. Liberty Media is, the new ownership group for the Atlanta Braves. They're stupid rich. And and dude, this is this is literally barely over the new minimum. So I mean, all upside here, a great addition. Um, I, I hope he's healthy because when he, you know, I watched him come up with the Marlins, uh, ultimately was traded in that deal to the Rays for Jesus Sanchez and Ryan Stanek. And you know, which who by the way, Stanek horrible with the Marlins, goes to the Astros, Elite. figures it out again. Yeah. Crazy how that works. Um I really want to see him succeed because it's a cool story. Came from independent league baseball, uh, figured something out. Disgusting when he's healthy. Let's see what happens. Uh, he only threw, what was it, 16 innings in the big leagues in one inning, or, or sorry, 16 innings, excuse me, in AAA. Didn't see him in the big leagues at all this year, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, right. you know, would definitely hope to see him get healthy because when he's right, I mean, he could be a, a lights out closer. Like that's how good the stuff is. And it's funny because Anderson is kind of a, a differentiation from the typical Tampa reliever, right? Where where Tampa relievers, they sweep sliders across and they rip it across. Nick Anderson is tall. He comes right over the top and he's got a fastball that does not come over the heart of the plate at all. He has high fastballs over the top ad nauseum and it always, always works. So that's it for the deals. Um, now for the rumors, which is the best part of the offseason yeah. here. Uh, Red Sox apparently offered Nathan Uvalde a multi-year deal. Why? I, they need pitching, man. You know, I mean, they, they need pitching. <laughs> that's that's the best answer I can give you. Um, I think there's a lot of pitchers on the market 
And there's a lot of guys I would probably prefer to offer a multi-year deal to, but you know, Ivaldi has risen to the occasion for the Red Sox in a lot of big moments. Uh, he's a guy that is sneaky, been with that organization for a while now. And I think he's, he's a big part of what they want to do and a big part of what they do in Boston. So I think he's a glue guy uh, at risk of being a little bit, um, you know, I, I know that's it's a pretty an annoyingly old, like common thing to say he's a glue guy, but I mean, he's been there since 2019. They've had some really good seasons with him. When he's healthy, he's fantastic. Health was an issue this year, only through 109 innings. But when he was on the field, still a decent starter, 3870 ERA, a 4-3 fit. I, I think it's really about the health. You know he can pitch. If multi-year deal could be two years, 2028. 20, we don't know what that is. But if it's more than that, I, I wouldn't be thrilled if I'm a Red Sox fan. Do you think it is more than that? I think it's three years max and I, I i would be shocked if it was three i, I think it's two years stroman just signed 30. 30 for 71 you think it's cheaper than that yeah absolutely cheaper than that like three for 50 you think yeah or two with incentives and an option if you're a red sox fan and it's three for 50 straight up no options are you happy or sad i think it's dependent on what they do elsewhere right like if they don't pay xander and I watched them go three for 50 on Nate. I'm I'm not happy. Um, if they do both, it's fine. Three for 50 in today in this market, right? I mean, look, look at what, what Chris Bassett turned down, right? Like he's gonna turn down the QO, right? I mean, like look at some of the guys that are getting QOs. Yeah, um stupid. So I, I would say I would say that's fair. It's just you have a huge injury risk there, but I think it's a risk worth taking given the upside that he gives you and you know how good he's been in the postseason. I wouldn't be yeah. thrilled with it. I'd rather not do it, but I'm not losing sleep over that one if I'm a Red Sox fan. Fair. Uh, speaking of Xander, the Phillies are reportedly interested in Xander Bogarts, according to John Heyman. Yeah, um, that's like the one shortstop I, I don't get for them. Yeah, obviously Xander makes any team better. Let me let me preface with that. Correct. And, and he did improve defensively. Very much so last year. But you assume that this is going to be a long-term deal, seven, eight years, right? Whatever it is, six, seven, eight years. His defense is going to – it's going to be a curve here, right? He's going to be an age curve, and it's going to go back down, right? He might give you one or two good years, maybe three at the best, of, of this new and improved defense that we saw from him. Then he's probably going to taper off. Range was already an issue for him. The Phillies' defense is the problem. We know that, right? And if you get a shortstop, you're moving Bryson Stott off of short, who is an average defender, um, to play second, where he'll probably be great. The defense would probably, you know, remain kind of the same, I guess, because I think Stott and Xander are relatively similar at short, and you're moving a shortstop to second. Over the but next couple Phillies, of years, they're relatively similar, and mm-hmm. then Stott gets better than Xander. Exactly. And, I, I like, Correa makes way more sense to me. Yeah, correct. They don't need more offense. Like, they, in, in, you know, you want the more well-rounded shortstop, I think. Um, but – and I don't think he's going to be that much cheaper. Like, do you think Correa is going to be – more how much more or less do you think Correa is going to be than Xander? So I think we had Xander around seven years, 180. Is that right? Um, in our in our free agent write up, by the way, just baseball.com free agent write ups there. Um, I, I think we had Correa eight for 250, which is if it's that much of a difference, then then I get it. But, but if they're closer, why would you go after Xander and not Dansby Swanson for almost identical money? I I just I have way more confidence in Xander Bogarts playing at a top five shortstop level or yeah. you know as close to it for the duration of that contract than I do to Dansby Swanson. I'm with you. I'm I get you. the glove. I get it. And 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 you know, given what I just said, it, it's probably more valuable at what you're going to get from Dansby. But I don't have a lot of confidence that Dansby for 
the entirety of that contract is going to be an above average hitter. He's right? only hit like this for one year. Yep. For one year. And it's not like he lit it up. It was the defense that really made him incredibly valuable here. I if I shortstop is such an offensive position at this point, too. Like yeah. I I would rather have somebody that as long as they're not a liability, I'd rather have Xander. But to me, get the best of both worlds. Correa is the perfect fit. Um, but yeah, I, I just Dansby makes me nervous for that kind of duration. You don't know what kind of hit. Like if Dansby Swanson turns in a 720 OPS next year, would you be surprised? No, I, I, I'd actually, if I had to hand pick like an OPS for him in 2023, I think it would be around 725, 730. And you want to have a guy like that locked up for six, seven years? Uh, playing gold glove caliber defense, maybe if the price is right and leadership skills, we know Zin, we know Dansby has that. Um, I don't know. I know that the defense will taper off with Xander Bogarts eventually. That's the thing. He's the last he's last thing I'll last yeah. thing I'll say on it real quick is, you know, the defense is so important for the Phillies if they're looking at their window right now. I mean, they'd probably net gain a lot more value with a Dansby. But any anytime I'm going with the long term commitments, I, I'm bad. nervous and I'm I'm fearing for the worst. And Xander makes me fear the worst a little bit less. Yeah, Cubs are excited about long term right now. Apparently, uh, according to John Morosi, they've checked in on all of them. Xander, Dansby, Correa, Trey Turner. Who makes the most sense for the Chicago Cubs? It's a great question. Who do you think makes the most sense for the Chicago Cubs? Um, I think Correa makes the most sense for the Cubs. Um, That's my pick for the Cubs, too. I've had this weird pipe dream for the last couple of months of Xander Bogarts wearing a Cubs uniform because I – would hope that he could swallow his pride and play third and have Nico Horner continue. To I say that's short. another weird one. You you lose defense at short. Nico Horner's an elite defender at shortstop. You get a great hitter, obviously one of the best hitters at short in Xander yeah. Bogarts, but then you're moving a better defender off the position. Yeah, like that doesn't so make sense to me. The other one that makes sense to me is Trey Turner because Trey Turner has a teensy, teensy bit of experience in center field. We know he's played second base and we know he can play shortstop. I think adding another one of those Swiss Army knives with Nico Horner and with Christopher Morrell, albeit the best by a country mile in Trey Turner. Trey Turner is the best Swiss Army knife in Major League Baseball. Um, I think that he would be awesome. He would be a great table setter at the top of the lineup. But I think Correa, like it would be really nice to have that masher and the platinum glover at short. Correa and Horner up the middle is the best defensive middle infield, I think, in ever. baseball. It's maybe not ever, maybe ever. Like some, I, I hope some, you know, older baseball fan in our YouTube comments, you know, the Phillies fan 1956 comments that, you know, some, some middle infield from uh, 19- Tinker and Evers, right? Tinker yeah. and Evers to chance in the early 1900s. Yeah, um, sure. Like, like yeah. I, I hope that because legitimately you're going to have to go that deep to find a better middle infield, I think, than Carlos Correa and Nico Horner defensively. And both those guys can swing it too. Yes, 100%. Yeah, Cubs shortstop, Joe Tinker, second baseman, Johnny Evers, uh, and first baseman, Frank Chance. That was the, uh, the double play tandem here. That's nasty. Um, and I want to say this was... Yeah, 1902, they turned their first double play together. <laughs> Exciting stuff. We're at six minutes already, so we're going to blow by this, but uh, I think this is really good. We're doing 15 topics in 30 minutes. We're not going to do 30 minutes, but 15 topics rapid fire. Um, staying on the Cubs, according to Matty Lee of the Chicago Sun-Times, they plan on adding a center fielder. The two names that I saw were Kevin Kiermeyer, 
and a trade for Cody Bellinger. Huh. I don't know. So I haven't had much time to think about that one. I honestly didn't even see that headline. Yeah, um, I kind of like Morel in here's, center. Here's what my thing is I don't I don't think they're going to sign somebody for center field. Like you're not signing a Brandon Nemo, right? You're not I, I I just don't see that happening because of the amount of players that they have on the way. And usually I don't I always say don't base major league decisions on your like what prospects you have. But Pico Armstrong is a guaranteed big league center fielder, in my opinion. Yeah. Brennan Davis is still your your crown jewel prospect, too. You're hoping he's going to bounce back and is a true center fielder. Uh, then you also have several other guys that have shown some things. Morrell, great defender out there, really struggled in the second half, but a young player who has big time upside. I, I wonder if they're going to be willing to you know, commit to – all of their money in center field when you have so many options coming up. And that's not even mentioning, you know, Velasquez who, who played a little bit out there. Canario played a little bit out there and almost launched 40 home runs last year. Like they have a lot of options internally. Um, I like to hear that they want to go get somebody because that means they're focused on competing in the next year or two. Bellinger makes the most sense to me. You buy low. You, you, if it doesn't work out, you've got contingency plans littered throughout your system. But as they continue to climb up, you have a chance to, you know, buy low on Bellinger and a former MVP and see what happens. If it doesn't work out, you move on and you have your other guys coming up. Bellinger is probably going to make 16 mil uh, in this final year of arbitration in 2023. And then he hits free agency. So it is a one year buy some time thing. Don't move off one of your center field prospects. And you're right. Like there are too many studs for one of these fuckers not to hit, whether it be PCA, whether it be Brennan Davis, whether it be Canario, if he turns into a center fielder, I mean, hell, Morrell becomes a good center fielder. Like there are, he is a good, he already is a good defender. Uh, yes, he was mistake prone on the infield. Um, but which is why they moved in the center arms in baseball. Like when you look at, when you look at throwing speed from the outfield, Morrell litters the top of the charts there. I mean, he's got a rocket of an arm. Um, all right, next one. Let's go to the Japanese guys because the classic teams, the classic West Coast teams, right? Mariners, Angels, Giants, and throw in the Texas Rangers too. Uh, they are, of course, interested in pitcher Kodai Senga and position player Masataka Yoshida. Let's start with Kodai Senga because this guy has some electric stuff. 29 years old, just got posted, 148 innings this past year, a 189 ERA, 159 punch outs, so 9.7 Ks per nine. 50 walks. That's about three walks per nine. Senga, you've got the data on him. This guy's like gross, right? Yeah. I mean, fastball average is 96. Um, he's touched 102. Has the classic splitter. That is just a problem. Nobody hit the splitter. Um, the command's pretty darn good. And and he just comes at you with so many different pitches. He's got a fastball, a splitter, a cutter, a slider, a changeup, and a curveball. And home mix all of them in. Uh, obviously best pitch is is the splitter. Second best pitch is the cutter. And we've seen cutters kind of take over baseball here. And uh, this is, you know, we don't always see guys coming over from, from Japan and you know, having those kinds of, you know, cutters the same way. Uh, Darvish, one of them, but, but not everybody. Tanaka was more of the fastball splitter. This is a good cutter. And I think that gives him a good third pitch. Saying is going to be popular. And, you know, we already saw a report from Mark DeLucci, um, who, who did a little bit of stuff with us at just baseball. And I, I forget where he's writing now, but does a great job on the Giants. And uh, DeLucci would, drove by, saw the, the scoreboard, and I think they had Sanga 
uh, like, you know, it kind of superimposed in a jersey out there, which usually they do for visits and stuff like that. We know the Giants want to spend some money. This could be a nice pickup. I think it could be a great pickup. And, and you look at the history of Japanese pitchers coming over because, yes, you strike gold with a Hideo Nomo or a Masahiro Tanaka, seven years, 155, or a Yu Darvish, or hey, how about a guy that does both in Shohei Otani? But for the Darvish and the Tanakas of the world, you also have the Daisuke Matsuzaka, who is great for two years, but then was nothing, or a Kohei Arihara, who is already looking like he was kind of a dud. So let's hope Senga has that electric stuff. I'm still waiting for Roki Sasaki. I think it's going to be five or six years, but that's the like 20 year old kid that had a perfect game with 19 punch outs this year. Like he is the craziest pitching prospect that yeah. it's going to be Wembayama type shit. That <laughs> uh, it's going to be fun. I mean, I'm fun. telling you, man, like we're going to be latched onto him for a long, long time. Uh, the position player that's coming over is Masataka Yoshida. Smaller guy, 5'8", 175 pounds, like very, very small guy. I like it. But 28 years old, 121 games this year, slashed 336, 449, 559, 28 doubles, 21 pumps, 89 driven in. How about this, though? 16% walk rate, 8% K rate. Doesn't go down swinging. So you talk about how he's small. He's really short to the ball. He's kind of got shorter arms. And guys that are like that, they don't swing and miss much. They're very direct. He doesn't whiff at all. Um, and he's got power. That's the thing. Is he had a home run 445 feet this year. He's produced a ton of 110-plus mile-per-hour exit velos. So if we're talking about a guy that's compact, short, consistently making contact, and then has this power that defies his frame, that's the kind of candidate that I say he could come over stateside and make a pretty smooth transition. I think this is going to be one of the more underrated candidates, and and I'm curious to see how much he gets. This is someone that I do, I do think makes a smooth transition. Yes. So Hassan Kim is the other guy that I look at, right? Smaller guy, 5'9", 170. Uh, Kiwum Heroes in the KBO in 2020. 138 games, 30 homers. Uh, similar, walked more than he struck out, hit 306. So he slugged a little bit less, but he had more homers. Now, what I will say here is the KBO is a worse league than Nippon Professional Baseball. The baseball quality in Japan is a lot better than the baseball quality in Korea. So I'm I'm not saying that, you know, you should expect that, um, you know, like Kim came over in 2021 and hit 202, and then he just upped his batting average 50 points. He upped his OPS about 100 points um, this year from 2021 to 2022, but um, it, it, there is a chance that he runs into those growing pains in Major League Baseball. There is less of a chance that he runs into those Hassan Kim type growing pains than Hassan Kim did. No, I think he's a he's a much more advanced hitter, um, well, without a doubt. But Kim has also done a great job of making the you know those strides, like you mentioned. But yeah, I I do think that Yoshida is is a more advanced hitter. Fair. Okay. Um, timer's already up, but we got more shit to talk about. So <laughs> right. we tried, we failed, whatever. Don't yeah. fault us for it. You Episode should, keeps going. You should be happy. More content. Here. <laughs> um, John Heyman connected the Rangers to Jacob deGrom. Morosi connected the Rangers to Carlos Rodon and Kodai Sanga. Like, okay, yes. I mean, Sanga, yeah, sure. But Jacob deGrom in a Rangers uniform would be peak idiocy. In a, good you, way. You, in a good way. Yeah, in a good way, right? I'm I'm here for it, right? The the Rangers are they're doing whatever they're doing. I I don't know why people are 
you know, mad about it or like, oh, what are they doing? Why are they spending all this money? The team's not that good. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? It's fun. They're a fun team. I don't know they're if they're going to be good. I have no idea. Another competitive team in baseball. We need more yeah. competitive teams that are willing to spend in baseball. We complain about the lack of parity spending wise. And then the Texas Rangers want to come around and spend. Let them spend. Yeah, no, not you. Not you. <laughs> no, no, no. Not them. So, like, I'm here for it. I like it. Um, is it risky? Absolutely. But what if what if DeGrom is healthy? Then this team's actually competitive. Like, that's the thing. Is if you want to roll that you have money to spend and you're not afraid to you know, make a bad investment. What better high risk, high reward investment is there than Jacob fucking DeGrom? Like <laughs> the, the Rangers are far off still, technically speaking, but not far enough or not, not too far to where a Jacob DeGrom can't save you. Jacob DeGrom can make this team competitive with a few other good moves. Which we know, I believe in Chris Young. I'll say that. I think Chris Young will make the other supplementary moves. They've got prospects coming up. Josh Young, other guys too. Yep. Fucking go for it. Go for it. I, I like it. I, I want to see them do it. If they go get DeGrom, they could still go make some other smaller moves, make a trade or two. Their system's good. They've got some guys that will be up there next year too. They're they're close enough to justify the roll of the dice, I think. They just got Odorizzi too. Is that right? Yep. Great so, depth arm to, to add. Yeah, it's a depth arm, man. So going into this year, you're looking at John Gray, um, if you do sign DeGrom, great. Jacob DeGrom, uh, Odorizzi, uh, who else? No Martin Perez on the books anymore. He's a free agent. Um, oh, shit. Spencer Howard, is that experiment over? I think so. Uh, no, they've got they've got some stuff to figure out pitching-wise. I mean, yeah. they're right now counting on what? Dane, Dane Dunning? Dane Dunning. Glenn good. Otto? Uh, Cole Reagans? I'm good. Yeah, so like they, they needed Odorizzi. That's a guy that you slot into the back end. John Gray is in the middle. You know, maybe he has to be a little bit higher for them. So you got they a need one, an ace. three, and a five. <laughs> they need an ace. Yeah. And and I, I think they got to go for it, man. It takes this rotation from, you know, really no shot at being good. Yeah, the worst to, in baseball. Oh, well, if DeGrom's healthy and, you know, one or two other guys that they get, you know, put it together, then – this rotation could be good. So I think it's a chance they have to take. I believe the offense is going to come together. And I think they have the pieces to go trade for another arm if they want to also. So they're in a spot here where you spend, you you make some moves as well, and you can piece together a team that already has a pretty good core. Don't forget, they've got Semyon and Seager. You know, like the, the rest of the team offensively, Nate Lowe takes a huge leap. Adolis Garcia Slugger, yeah. has proven that he consistently be an above-average big leaguer and give you a lot of value there. Again, Josh Young's going to be a big piece of what they're doing. How about Jonah uh, Heim? Jonah Heim looks like a dude as well. Like They have to feel good about what's going on here. If they hit on a couple free agent signings, albeit risky, this team can be competitive, and I think the Rangers are ready to take that chance. Yeah, one more rumor, then we end with hard news. And, and I guess you could turn this into a rumor. It's just what Chris Antonetti said. Um, this is the Guardians president of baseball operations to Jim Bowden and Jim Duquette on MLB Network Radio. He said, quote, catching is an area we'll work, where we'll continue to explore options. If we can find a way to add some offense and add a bat somewhere throughout the lineup, that's something we'll pursue as well. Natural follow-up to that was about Bo Naylor. Yeah. And Chris Antonetti said that he believes Bo Naylor can be special, not just offensively, but the way that he can handle a pitching staff. So it does sound like the Guardians front office and the Cleveland Guardians do genuinely believe that Bo Naylor is the catcher of the future. 
Is he the catcher of the present if they are looking to win a World Series in 2023? Answer is probably not. So how do you get better there? Paging Sean Murphy. Well, okay, if he's the catcher of the future, then why are you getting Sean Murphy? Because he's got, what, two years? Murphy's got two years of control? So when is Bo Naylor ready? Was know. was a 131 WRC plus and AAA for 66 games? I loved, I loved it. Do you so, feel like a rookie catcher will be the guy for a World Series contending Guardians team next year? I mean, it's tough. I you know, Maybe not. But if he's not the guy, then go make the trade then. Right? Like he, the other thing, too, is, you know, we just had Cal Quantrill on, right? And what Cal was talking about how important, you know, how important Hedges is to what they do. Yeah. And we just saw the Astros win the World Series with you know, Martin Maldonado. If you go trade for a catcher and then you bring up Naylor, where does Hedges fit into this? Hedges and is a free agent. You don't think they're bringing back Austin Hedges? I mean, he would cost, what, $3 because he can't hit? <laughs> yes. And and literally listening to the way Cal was talking about him, and I would be shocked. Like It sounds like the pitchers would not be happy if, if he was gone. But if you want to make the huge splash, then maybe trade Bo Naylor. Like that's the thing. Like if you want to go get Sean Murphy, maybe make make a big trade here. So I want to see Bo Naylor get a shot. But I, at the other at the other side of it is there's been prospects I've been excited about. They get up to the big leagues, they're not quite ready, and then you're like shit. You know what now? And you can't leave yourself in that position. Bo Naylor is 22 years old. So if they want to go make that splash, they can. I'd rather have a guy that's kind of expiring, maybe a one year deal to give Naylor some more time because I really do believe Naylor is that special. I do believe he's the future. So it's a tough spot for the guardians. It really is. If they don't bring back hedges, then I think they can go make that splash. And, and Sean Murphy's the obvious, the obvious name. So can I throw you two other names? Um, Christian Vasquez on a one plus one deal. That's I think a, a great move. How about trading for Danny Jansen? The Blue Jays have already said that they're willing to move a catcher. And I think the big fish that might go is the right deal would pry Alejandro Kirk away. Um, but I do think that Jansen is the most likely one to move. I think Cleveland grabbing Danny Jansen, who has been accustomed to being a backup catcher already, is a good enough bat, good enough glove. He's under control for two more years. He hits free agency after the 2024 season. You're paying for his age 28 and 29 season through arbitration. This guy via spot track is estimated to make about 3.6 this year. That is no, well I, within the guardians budgetary constraints. I like it. I like it. And and here's the thing with Bo Naylor, he's such a good athlete that, you know, this could be one of those situations where, you know, we're, we're talking about two catchers in the lineup consistently here, Jansen behind the dish Naylor, you know, could play pretty much anywhere. He's so athletic. I think he could, but you you do the DH catcher all all you know alter alternate move that we've seen from some other teams. The D- Diamondbacks doing that a bit too, and they have a premium athlete in Dalton Varsho who ends up playing all over. I don't know if you know Naylor's quite on that level, but I think those two could coexist together. You don't make a massive splash where you're depleting the farm system for someone that you know you still want Naylor to get reps, so it would be confusing. I think Jansen might be that perfect upgrade without, you know, blocking somebody like Naylor, who I think can be a big part of their success next year. I really do. Jansen, 72 games this year, 855 OPS. Sign me up for that, dude. And they can alternate. DH catcher, give Jansen the day off some days. It gives him a way to mix and match with the lineup as well. It's just another good bat to have for a team that can use some more bats. 
There we go. Two more things of hard news, and then we'll say bye. Blake Trinan has right shoulder labrum and rotator cuff repair surgery, uh, according to Fabian Ardaya, the athletic. That feels like it does feel like a career death sentence for pitchers. Yeah. Um, I saw that and it kind of had like a pit in my stomach when I saw that because one of the two is is a huge issue. Both of which kind of tells me that shoulder is just that shoulder is just kind of cut. Yeah, it's shredded and it's cooked. And okay, I hope I'm wrong. Like that. That's I again. We never want to speculate on injuries, but that's one thing. Like shoulders, the success rate is so low. You got both at the same time, and he generates so much force. You know, so much pressure on that shoulder. Man, I I, I hope he's all right, but I think you got to brace for the worst with Blake Trinan. So recent history, if you hear forearm issue for a pitcher, your teeth clench. You're like, oh, God, that's not good because forearm in turn leads to elbow strain, which in turn often leads to Tommy John issues. Like that's why Lance McCullers was shelved for so long with forearm issues. I mean, you Mm -hmm. saw Walker Bueller. He was dealing with forearm tightness. All of a sudden he has his second TJ. Like there are so many cases where you run into, oh, it's just a 10-day injured list stint with forearm tightness, and it's, oh, shit, Tommy John. Go back a little bit. Elbow issues were not that prevalent until Tommy John came around. And Tommy John, that was, that I think, late 70s. Am I right on that timeline? I'd have been late. A little Maybe bit later. 80s. But before that, it was always shoulder things that shut a guy down. If a dude's shoulder gave out, like, he was done and that was wear and tear you know that's over the course of a long career Blake Trinan has had a long career where he's going max effort and he's pumping 100 mile an hour turbo sinkers out of that shoulder and here he is with not only a torn rotator cuff but also a torn labrum in his shoulder like and those are two different like they work together to do the same thing but it's it's two different things to focus on recovery wise and uh, serve two different purposes it's it's not great um i that was a tough one to see he's 34 the sliders that he's ripping to like it it, it he i just don't see him having that the same amount of arm speed and you see guys with the shoulders just the, the level of success in terms of recovery it's usually not great and and he only threw five innings this year and so so it, it wasn't really like a matter of oh he came back pitched a full season and then you know it flared up again it was like he didn't really get back and now he's got more issues I, I don't feel great about it. And I hope, I hope he proves, you know, proves the odds wrong on that one. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're in local news right now. Do you, do you remember? Cause like in, in college, we learned about this. Is it called a kicker? Like the one not sad story at the end of the show? Yeah. 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 The kicker, the kicker. Yeah. So I feel like this is a kicker, right? Because we just discussed um, a, a dude's arm being absolutely shot. Yeah. And here we are with the kicker to end the podcast. The Phillies extend their hitting coach, Kevin Long through the 2025 season. Apparently he's really well liked. They should extend their, their other hitting coach in Bryce Harper to another 20 years after his contract is done. Because look, I, I don't want to take anything from Kevin Long, but I, again, will bet my life that Bryce Harper has influence on these hitters. And if you don't believe me, go look at what Bryson Stott does with his setup. Now go look at what Bryson Stott does with two strikes. Go look at Brandon Marsh's setup and go look at what Brandon Marsh does with two strikes. That said, Long is working with these guys with probably Harper. And, and it seems like a very collaborative environment of veterans and having a hitting coach that seems to work with all of his guys really well. Look, this team got hot. They continued to rake through the, re- the rest of the year. I will say the one exception would have been Castellanos, but but I don't think any hitting coach is helping that guy. His approach is just 
just non-existent. Yeah. You, you can't deny what, what they did offensively. And also guys that were slumping, kind of turning things around, guys like Brandon Marsh making that leap, guys like Bryson Stott making that adjustment and improving Alec Bohm, improving Real Muto even, like just kind of kicked it back in gear to a different level. You look at all these guys and, and they all seem to make that kind of leap or, you know, were wrong at one point and kind of got right. You, you got to credit the hitting coach there because even for the vets, it's keeping those guys on track. Sometimes they just need another set of eyes that they trust. And for a 10-year vet, it's rare that you find a set of eyes that you trust, and it seems like Long is that guy for them. Yeah, nice guy, knows hitting. And if we learned anything about the Philadelphia Phillies in the month of October, they can really fucking hit. So good on Kevin Long for getting the bag and uh, the the old generational wealth for the position coach in Major League Baseball. We oh, love yeah. that stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, all right, Peter and I will be back to talk baseball with you tomorrow. Not sure what we're going to talk about yet. I know he had a pretty unsuccessful day in his NFL picks. Is that right? Uh-oh. I don't know, but the dude is, dude is slapping units on the board, and chances are he's got more units now. I love the word units. Units. Yeah. Now, now I'm going to be up on I thinking about what the Guardian should do at catcher because I really don't know now. I like Danny Jansen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sleep sadly thinking about Danny Jansen. Good for you. I won't. But no, I, I do like it. I do like it. Fine. All right, guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow.